Well, let's, uh, let's give uh, our attention to the Lord, shall we pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day and the gift that it is. It's a marvelous thing, this thing called life. We bow down before you, first of all, as our creator. You have made uh, all things instantly, totally. Thank you for the book of God that you've given to us and preserved all these years that we might know the ultimate and the big questions of life. Where did we come from? Who are we? And what are we to be doing with life? And where are we headed? And we're so thankful for the Word of God that teaches us that. We bow before Thee as Creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we marvel at the beauty, the utter immensity, and the complexity of the, of the universe of life here on earth. Whether we look through great telescopes and see faraway places, we marvel, Lord, at it. Just incredible. And whether we look through a great uh, electron microscope and look at the smallest minutia of life, and the utter uh, complexity of it all, Lord, it just staggers us. It says, glory to God in the highest. And you placed us on planet Earth at such a time as this the blanket of the atmosphere that provides us uh, with life as we know it. We thank you for the beautiful blue sky and the clouds and their puffiness and, and the rain and, and the beauty of that, and the oceans. And, and we thank you for the mountains and the plains and the rivers and the beaches. And particularly, we especially tend to love the warm days of summer. We're so thankful, Lord, and we see your handiwork everywhere. And then we see varieties of life, the birds that fly in the air, and uh, heavier than air, but they fly and they chirp, and we say sing, and, and uh, our Father takes their care of them too, Jesus taught us. And we're so thankful, Lord, for the varieties of, of life. Thank you, Lord, for life, and thank you for families and friends. We thank you for children and grandchildren, and we thank you, Lord, for our parents and Many of those have gone on before us, and we continue, Lord, this wonderful thing of life, and we worship you as creator. But more than that, your second, your redeemer. Be one thing to have life and, and never to deal and reckon with our sin before a holy God and die and be lost forever in the lake of fire with hell and tormentation. We come to understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We come to understand that uh, the God that is is a God of love, that you have uh, uh, so ordained and the saving of men and women. Your calling and election is absolutely sure. Those whom God saves, he keeps forever as trophies of his grace, preparing us for heaven in that prepared city of God, which we shall dwell forever and ever and ever. And sometimes what we say, we can't wait. We're so thankful for the power of the gospel, the message of the cross, that there hung between heaven and earth, the only atoning sacrifice for sin was made that satisfied the just wrath of God that hung over us. And all that kneel at the cross are wonderfully saved. That's the, the great old story for so many of us here. 
Some here may have never trusted Jesus yet as Savior. Oh, may today be the great day that you open their hearts and they say, I believe I once was blind, but now I see. Whether young or old, it matters not, Lord. And we ask, in addition to that, to all of those gospel tracts that we're giving out, given out this past week, Lord, that like seed that scatters, they'll find their way into homes and into the hearts and lives of people and pray that you draw people to yourself. What a privilege to stand for Jesus in the midst of a lost world. Thank you for that. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for raising up grace. Thank you for each one that's here today. Thank you for the property that you've given to us and for all the plans and prayers and work as we think about lay bare before thee our hearts and our soul. Lord, establish a beachhead for the gospel here in this growing area. If Jesus should tarry in coming, we pray for that. And I thank you for the work of each one that has labored with this. And we continue to, to give it to you, Father, and pray that you'd shake the heavens like a piggy bank and supply the monies that are needed at just the right time. We're like the children of Israel standing at the Red Sea. The Egyptian army's behind us, and then the Red Sea's in front of us. And Lord, we have to have you deliver us as Jehovah Jireh. For your glory, let no name be named except the name of Jesus here. Oh, I pray for that, Lord, as we give ourselves to the ministry of the gospel, discipleship, both here and around the world. Thank you so much. Lord, thanks for this today. Thanks for our text at hand. Speak to us. Search our hearts. Accomplish your purpose. And we'll thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, please take your Bible and look at Luke, uh, the doctor's gospel, chapter 15. I've entitled it as, as John mentioned, Jesus is the friend of sinners. You know, it's, it's going to be one of the most agonizing things in life is to, uh, to lose something. Don't you agree with that? Does that just kick you in the gut or what? You know, like, uh, have you ever laid down your purse or your wallet and, uh, you can't find it? Oh. And then, then begins the look, right? And you go like, I'm wasting all this time. It's like redo. It's like when you go the wrong direction driving, and then you got 50 miles, you got to loop back and make the left instead of the right. Oh. You get so uh, almost angry at myself. Could you be dumber than dumb? You know, why did I turn the right instead of left there? But to lose something, it's just, uh, it's just about, wow. I remember uh, an amazing story. It was the grace of God. In Indiana, we had had, a, uh, we had, had an activity in our backyard. We were playing volleyball with, uh, with a, uh, a small group or Sunday school class, I don't remember. And we had had a cookout and all that. And I just began wearing contact lenses, the soft lenses. And uh, we had little kids and... And, and, and no money, you know how it is, we start out that way and, and say, contacts, did you notice? They used to be more expensive than they are now, sometimes quite a bit more. I had one set of contacts, and when it was over and, and everyone went home, I realized my contact lens had come out and was in the, in the backyard. Well, I was out there, and, uh, and the dew was falling, 
and I turn the floodlights on and everything's glistening. I remember to this day, I go, I think it was in this area, you know, and I'm on looking at blades of grass. Oh Lord, help me. I, I've lost this guy. I can't see it. I can't I can't afford another one, you know. Like have you ever anyone ever no? Alright, alright. Hey, amalgamated. There we go. No, anyway. And in the fifth Bible, we had a talk with the Lord, and all of a sudden, and it's dark now, I commenced to shout. I found that little goober there, right there. I go, well, I can't believe it. Thank you, Lord. You kind of sent it down to this stupid guy. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about it, but I just was so happy. And it was like nine miraculous needle in a haystack. It was, it was like that, because the dews all over, I, you couldn't see the shiny light, and the Lord helped me find it. I've lost some things, and I have never found them. I don't know. Have you? Have you lost some things? And you go like, I have no idea. Welcome, Eli. It's so great to see Eli here. He just woke up when I said that. <laughs> nah, he's a blessed one. We love you, and we'll never forget your dear wife. Anyway, that's Jesus is going to talk about losing some things. He's, uh, he's, he's making the trek now, going towards Jerusalem. 1910, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus is going to be uh, presented here as the friend of sinners. I, I introduced the very thought of the text by saying, you know, people have such strange notions about God. I mean, have you ever asked people what they think of God? I mean, some of them are really just like bizarre. And most of them are stuff they didn't think of themselves. They heard it somewhere, and they're eclectic. They got bits and pieces of this and that, and they put it together, and it's like it's a Santa Claus Superman amalgamated somewhere in the sky. It's like, where did you get this stuff? You know, like, have you... Have you heard of the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible? And we're increasingly in that day where people don't know what the Bible says. So we need to recognize that. But uh, some pretend, and on your list, and there are many pretend that God does not exist. I say pretend because there's really no such thing as an atheist. People will strut around in pride and they'll make that pontification. I'm an atheist, you know, kind of a thing. No, you're not. In Romans 1, every person knows God. They know Him. They have to hold that down. They're made in the very image of God, though a finite being of, of God. And so to, not, to deny that because they love their sin, they, uh, they make such, oh, I'm an atheist. No, not really. Others think him distant. You know, like, ah, if there is a God, he's way out there beyond Jupiter, he doesn't really care about me, or this or that. Some people think that. Some people think him to be stern or angry. You know, like, it isn't it? One time sinners in the hands of an angry God. They don't know this sermon, but they have the idea that God is angry. Well, in, in a sense, God is altogether at the same time loving, but He is a God who's holy. He's a God of righteousness, and God hates sin. But altogether and perfectly, we can't do that. Keep all of that in perfect balance. And they think, well, God's angry at me. My father's angry at me, and God must be like my father, and, and so on and so forth. Or that he's unapproachable. Well, all these are wrong characterizations on the wonder of God. In Jesus' day, and we'll see in our text, the Pharisees thought God to be stern. He's stern. He's holy. They'd say it in a, in a way that 
you know, emphasize the, 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 the nature of the word as they thought at distant uh, from us. And so they built, that is, the Pharisees built a system of works, hoping that it'd be a ladder of holy living that would please the Lord. You know, they set up rules. There's the rule. We did that as parents. <laughs> and parenting is so interesting, isn't it? It'd be great to have a class. Now. I don't know how much help that would be, actually. But uh, Faith and I, in the early years, like, oh, we need another rule. Another rule. You know the rules. The rule. The rule. <laughs> yeah, the rules on this and rules on that. The poor kids suffered through that, you know. Finally, when Jonathan came along, we, I think we just said, let's just, two or three rules, that's it. <laughs> not a thousand. Sarah had to memorize a thousand of the poor kid. No wonder she's not right. <laughs> That's the Pharisees. Like God is stern. We better set up a uh, five hundred rules here on what to do. Holy cow! You can't. You know this kind of thing. And may, maybe God will be happy with us. These are the religious leaders of that day. They were the separatists. That's the idea of a Pharisee. You know they said that. And in doing this, they absolutely isolated themselves from regular sinners. See, all of us are sin. We're born in sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. They were sinners. But uh, they considered themselves to be, uh, in pride, better. They're a little better. They're religious, you know. <laughs> and so we don't associate with regular sinners. You know, regular sinners. Classes of sinners, you know. And so, like, they might, we might get contaminated there. We might get corrupted. So we... We withdraw. Hey, we don't have any doings with them. And they would actually mock, mock uh, the sinners, jeer at them. Imagine that. You know, you're trash. You're this. You're that. We're better. That kind of thing. That's that was what was going on in essence. As they walked around with their flowing robes and their beads and everything else, and they were holy men. Holy, holy, holy. Wow. Well, they set themselves apart, thinking that uh, we can't get close, we can't associate, certainly can't have share a hamburger at Wendy's with them because, I mean, that would just make us completely corrupt. And that's not the hamburger either. It's just <laughs> that they're across the table. Well, Jesus, though never sharing in sinners' activity, he befriended them. It's an amazing thing. I don't know how you think about when you read the Gospels, but Jesus is God, fairly God, very God. And you say, what is God like? Look at Jesus. I mean, what's God's attitude towards sin? Well, he hates sin. It's going gonna, it's gonna to need to be cared for, and God's going to take care of all of it. And so, oh, well, how is Jesus going to do this? As he's making his way to the cross, is he, how's he going to handle you know, the immoral, the dust, the, the reprobate, the garbage, the trash? The, I mean, what about that? And well, how, what's the reaction to him? I mean, this is God walking on planet Earth. What is God like? It's, a, it's one of the great questions of life. And we, I say the answer is we see it in the person of Jesus. And the, and the text we look at, look at, look at 15 verse 1. Notice, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all, you can circle all, drawing near to him. Now that is, that's an incredible thing. What was it about the Lord that was so attractive 
what is it about God verily God, man verily man, this, this theanthropic person, this God man that drew them like a magnet? We'll talk about that. It's amazing and it it gives us a great hint of the wonder of God. He befriended them. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He encouraged them to come to know God. He challenged them to repent. Jesus most clearly reflects the heart of God for lost sinners. Romans 5.8, that other verse in Romans wrote, what's it? God demonstrated his love for us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God put it on open display. Does God really love me? Look at Christ. God sent his son to bear your sin in mind. No greater love has anyone than this, that he'll lay down his life for another. And that's what Jesus did. That's the cross. He bore our sin as the Lamb of God, as my substitute and yours. If you've had him, if you will have him, he'll be your Savior as well. Well, Jesus sees this. Did you see that? Did we, we read that about, uh, let's read it again, 15.1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, him, to hear him, that's Jesus, in verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the scribes were the lawyers. They were religious lawyers. It was a religious state, and so they were the lawyers of the nation. The Pharisees were the highfalutin uh, religious guys. They grumbled. The sinners, all of them, are flocking around Jesus. The reprobates and all of that, the religious leaders and uh, the lawyers, they're murmuring. <laughs> Like Moses, don't you know that when the, you read that the children of Israel? I mean, how'd you like to be that and have that job? I mean, sometimes there's murmuring at, uh, I remember that growing up, uh, mom was for dinner, and like, oh, this again, murmur, murmur, murmur. Or in the cafeteria, right? You go through meatloaf again. I don't even know if they have meatloaf there anymore. But meatloaf, they're murmuring all the time. Here are the so called leaders of God's nation murmuring when they see the crowds, the reprobates, the great sinners crowding around Jesus, God verily. And so based on that, Jesus is now going to unfold three stories or parables. And they're all going to deal with lostness. The first one is the lost sheep. The next parable in this chapter is the lost coin. And the last one is the lost son, the prodigal son. We're going to look at the first two today because they really overlap and essentially, with a few uh, distinctions, say the same thing. So we're going to look at two parables portraying for us God's desire to find and rescue the lost sinner. For Jesus is the sinner's best friend. Jesus gives these, I remind you, and when he sees their murmuring, sees their complaining, that is the Pharisees, the leaders, he is, in response to that, is going to tell this story. And is going to show the incredible heart of God. So let's, uh, let's again read uh, 15, verse 1 to verse 10. That's our section for today. Again, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying... 
this man receives sinners. He welcomes them and he eats with them. And so he, that is Jesus, told this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus is going to now make application, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Verse 10, Jesus makes the application, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, the two parables portraying for us God's desire to find and to rescue the lost sinner. The first parable, verse 1 to 7, as you know, as we've read, is the parable of the lost sheep, and it shows us God-seeking ways. Now, you could take verses 1 to 10, and uh, really, the basic theme is search. Search. God is searching. The shepherd searches. The woman searches. Searching. The basic emotion that is displayed is that of joy, celebration, rejoicing, joy. I was telling Faith the other week, uh, the other day this last week, that the more, the older I get, the more wonderful this thing is the joy of the Christian life, the joy of Jesus in the Christian. And I was thinking about that insofar as um, the wonder of, uh, of salvation and the glory of it is, is that uh, I'm saved forever. And uh, the Lord sees me, the Father sees through the righteousness of Jesus, not my own. His righteousness is imputed or given to me. It's placed in my account. It's an accounting term, imputation. And my sin was placed upon the cross. You see, the wonder of that, that's great. Have all my sins forgiven. Isn't that great? I mean, you don't have to walk around with all that junk from the... I couldn't, couldn't even count all the sins. You never try to figure out how many sins you've committed? I mean, we're talking advanced math here. You know, like, like holy cow. You know, like, and how about the repeatable ones? That's a million, one, a million, one, and one. You know, like, oh, Lord. But to have it and, and, and forgive it. And second, the hope of heaven. You know, the, the longer we go. I was thinking about that. God saved me when I was seven. And now I'm now in my second 50 years of walking with Jesus. That might shook me up a little bit. I don't know. That, uh, Ron, I may have a view on that. When, you, no, you were saved very young, weren't you? How old were you, Ron, when you were saved? Oh, you're way ahead of me. Okay. 
I'll, I'll catch up to you in heaven, I think. <laughs> there you go. You know, but the, the heavens are home, and we're headed home. This is not home. We get so cozy here. The Lord's so good to us. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Really. We talked about that, Julie. You always about your dad last week. He said he's smiling. He bet he is. Holy cow. Man. But you know, a, a third benefit, and I'm increasingly, is the joy that God gives. There's just a bliss and a joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, joy of having your sins forgiven, and that's a daily discipline. Lord, examine my heart again, and name them. <laughs> Join me in that. <laughs> but the joy, I'm going to lay it down with all this garbage. There's a joy. You know how rare that is? You ever look in the eyes of people? I, we saw 60,000 go by, didn't we, Ron? Oh, they're heavy laden. And I'm not saying they're not troubles and burdens and heartbreaks and tears and light. There certainly are. But God gives joy. And there's rejoicing. I love that so much. It's, in fact, when we deliberately sin, we lose that. You know that? You can't walk in disobedience and have the joy of the Lord. You notice that doesn't sort of work? And when you look at it, and when that's gone, you go like... Uh, that's one of the things, one of the key things. I miss so much. That sweet bliss and joy of walking with Jesus. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Please restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And so on. Well, here it's not joy. It's joy in finding something. But ultimately, this joy here, Jesus says, is, is God's joy. God is like celebrating. He's joyful when men and women, boys and girls, come to faith and repent and find him to be the friend of sinners. I mean, God is in heaven rejoicing. You're like, oh, I can't come to God. I'm too great a sinner. No! Run to him! God is far kinder than people. Have you ever noticed that? People are like, oh, no, you got to jump through these hoops. I'm sorry. I'd like to forgive you, but I'm not really sure you mean it. And you'll demonstrate it maybe 10 years from now. I'll forgive you. Have you noticed God is far kinder? He goes, hey, come, come. There's room at the cross for you. There's room. Anyway, and the Lord is telling this story of the lost sheep. The setting. The worst of sinners are drawn to hear him all. That blows me away with that word. He welcomed them. They felt comfortable in his presence. I don't, I'm, I'm trying. Why, I want to ask you, why do you think the sinners, the riffraff, the really bottom feeders of that culture, the drinks of, why do you suppose they felt comfortable uh, with the Lord? They didn't feel comfortable with the Pharisees or the scribe. They knew they didn't like them. They knew they considered them, you know, garbage, unrighteous, unholy, please get away, back in the line. Why do you think uh, the sinners, the desert, the prostitute, the horse, the whole, the worst of everything, the murderers, the rapists, all that, they flocked him. Why? Your turn. Bart? He, he invited them to come, didn't he? Yeah, and he drew them. He and, and it was they weren't just words. They knew he was sincere with that. Yeah. Come. He invited them. He drew them. Others. How what else do you think? I mean, why why did they feel uh, yeah, Mark? I think Jesus could see their potential. 
if they were in him, they would be pure and righteous and could walk with him for eternity. The Pharisees looked at them and saw they had no potential. They had no hope. They were forever destined for eternity separated from God. That's beautiful. He saw what he was going to make them into, work with, creating Christ Jesus on the good forever. Paul? Because he is the judge, and they knew they get a fair shake. Yeah, but don't you think their own sin would condemn them? No, because uh, very often in the Old Testament, the cry is for access to judgment. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, that they, yes. That he would hear them and not put them out. And, yes, okay. The Lord accepted them as they were. Yes, he accepted them as they were. Isn't that beautiful? That's a true friend, you know. Right? That's a real friend, and they're rare. They, they accept you warts and all. Do we have warts? Everyone, huh? Yeah, I, I think that's true. They could sense that. They could sense the love. You can feel the love. In fact, that's an expression, right? I'm not feeling the love. Yeah, you feel, I'm not feeling the love here. Well, when he's, he was the incarnation of the love of God. And so, I mean, the, uh, the Agapas. Uh, Rob? Not only did he love them and accept them for who they were, he was right there with them. He wasn't afraid to touch them. He would touch the lepers. He would touch the lame. He would touch the blind. He he reached out where the Pharisees and the law would say, "Do not touch." Yeah, people. and a touch communicates so much, so much. Have you had a uh, um, now, for example, uh, you think of medically um, with the germs and everything else and all that kind of thing. That you want to be isolated. And there's the thing you want to take care and all that. When David, David, our David was telling us when he and Mandy went to the uh, uh, pediatric cardiologist the other week in Fort Wayne, um, that uh, he had to give them bad news, as you know, because our baby's going to have to have open heart surgery uh, sometime here in the upcoming months. And of course, you know, they'll start crying and all that. And he goes, before he leaves, he goes like, now come over here. You need, you need a hug. And he's hugging both of them. It says, your little baby, our little baby, he says, our little girl's going to be okay. And just this, well, they did. That wasn't part of the bill, was it? But he, he, he allowed it to touch his humanity. And he was more than just in it for, you know, whatever. He loved them. In fact, David says, Whenever he sees little Brady, he goes like, and how's my little sweetheart? Oh, she smiled at me. She's the first girl to smile at me today. And what kind of person is that, you know? And we just, we love, I've never met the guy. But that time, now think of the Lord with leprosy. And he touched, and the text tells us, he touched. He went up to that, the beer with a, with a widow and her son had died. He goes up and he touches the, you know, most people would definitely like, yeah, okay, let it go by. Goes up and touches, and, and all of a sudden there's life. I love that the day Jesus stopped the funeral. <laughs> I love that text. Touch. No, good ideas. Thank you for helping it. Because here they, they felt very comfortable to come and to hang out with him, so to speak. 
Whereas the Pharisees and the lawyers, they're grossly offended. They won't have anything. They're grumbling. There's, he receives sinners. I mean, like, he's the bottom of the bottom. He can't be a, a, a man of the clergy like us. You know, and if that's not bad enough, he eats with them. Now, that's a cultural thing. Yeah, you know, it's uh, not, not so much. Americans, we eat in the drive-thru and in our cars and everything else. I mean, eating in, in the ancient Near East was a major event, and it should be that way. You know, we, we ought to make much of those kind of things. And when you sat down and ate, it wasn't like a race. It, it would be hours. It would be hours. And you fellowshiped, and you talked, and you might even fall asleep before they brought out dessert. And, and you, and you lounged back. It was kind of nice. It wasn't like stiff chairs. You could lean back and you're, that's uh, the upper room. So we have uh, Leonardo da Vinci had it uh, a little bit off when he had the Roman-esque around the table and the chairs and the disciples. It wasn't that at all. It was a low table and you're laying back in cushions. And that's how John could lean back on the, on the breast of Jesus. Like, well, what's going on there? Because you know, the setting was very different than our dining room formal chairs on the high table. was lower, and it would go on for a long, long time. I mean, uh, and, and, and that's what well, Jesus enjoyed. It wasn't a quickie. You know, just, let's have a hamburger together quick before anyone sees me with you. You know, like, that would ruin my rep, you know. <laughs> And it, it ought to tell us something about that for those of us who know Jesus as Savior. And that this work of finding that which is lost, men and women, boys and girls, that it, it doesn't do any good for us to stay in this building like a castle and shout out, be saved, be saved. We have to spread out. Hold on to one hand of the oracle of God. Why? Because we're still sinners. God is saving us. We are saved, but He's making us like Jesus. But we still have temptations and all that. And we hold on to that, the other hand, we reach out the other hand, we rescue the perishing. We do that in our families and gathering, and we and intentionally, and we do it intentionally, scattering the seed of the gospel. We did with Jubilee Day, Rob led us in that. You know, intentionally scattering the gospel to a people that know nothing of Jesus, you know. It's beautiful to do that. And then we do it by showing the love of Jesus in, in some of our social project caring projects here with a pregnancy center, center buying diapers and maybe going in a nursing home and caring for that which is lost and, and with folks that maybe only be half there. And we, and we represent the love of Jesus. Why? Some folks may get saved. You know, and come to know Jesus as we carry that. And we have to roll up our sleeves and touch them and involve ourselves in our homes and, and so on. And in that day, eating equal deep fellowship with. Well, Jesus responded to the situation by telling a parable, in fact, three in the chapter. He's going to teach them about the very nature of God, that God is loving and that his love searches for sinners. He is on the search. It's a search and rescue mission. I mentioned that when we were down in Georgia on the island of St. Simon, uh, there was a terrific uh, undertow going on and swept. Uh, there were some children in, in trouble out there, and a stepdad went, went running out the beach. He's going to rescue them. And, uh, and the uh, riptide was so strong, all of a sudden he tripped and went out, and they, they couldn't find him. And uh, where, what happened to him? And, and, uh, and we saw the Coast Guard helicopter 
They're on a search and rescue mission, going up and down the beach and out and where. Well, then it was about three days later they found his body. It was a seek, a search and rescue mission down there. And how sad that was, as that he was a soldier who had survived three tours of service in Afghanistan. And here in a place like St. Simon on the left, he drowns. I go like, who would ever have figured that? Hey, listen, one thing about that, one of the takeaways is man knows not his hour. Man knows not his hour. Never forget that. Young or old and in between. We saw somebody the other day at a restaurant fake tonight. He started choking away. And I go like, oh, he got some people around pretty quickly. But I knew of a story. A guy was out hunting, Mark. He had a ham sandwich by a tree. He choked. They found him out there. Choked. Nobody there to hit him on the back or do the, the, the nice maneuver there, right? Man knows not his hour. And we can't say that. Well, seek and search mission and so on. And so in verses 4 to 6, Jesus tells the first parable. The lost sheep parable is given. The shepherd searches for one lost sheep. Verse 4. He leaves the 99. Now he doesn't leave them. He doesn't just leave them. <laughs> sheep are so stupid. They'd all wander off. No. If you got 100 sheep, that's a large flock. And uh, he left them with some understudies or, or other shepherds or assistant shepherd to the shepherd or whatever his title was. And he left them, what? To go and search. The fun. And he searched and searched until he found the lost sheep. And then said he would take that sheep and uh, carry the burden of that uh, wayward sheep upon his own shoulders. Now, uh, an adult sheep, they tell me, could weigh up to 100 pounds. You ever throw a 100-pound bag of sack on your shoulders? Whoa, that's a little bit of weight. And, those, and, and a little bit of warmth there. You know, you're right next to the wool, too. If you've got to walk 5, 10 miles. I mean, when uh, Dave and I... Dave and I, remember that story, Mark? We, we each got deer that one deer season. There you <laughs> And we had to drag that thing, mine uh, up there on the rocks and the trees, and there was snow. And I go like, I think, I, I think this is going to kill me, dragging this deer. You want to throw it over your shoulder, but you know the knucklehead in the next tree is going to shoot you. Thinking you're, you, know, <laughs> you just want to just grab the thing and do that. You're like, that's not going to work. You know? So I go like, I said to David, uh, you think we should leave it? You know, like, oh, Mark, oh, he'll, oh, he'll be upset. <laughs> you see? And David gave me the pep talk and made me feel awful and said, we've got to finish the job. What's the matter with you? <laughs> anyway, the shepherd would carry the thing. I guess it wasn't sheep deer season or something. He'd throw them over and carry the thing. That sheep was out there. I mean, it was certain death. I mean, <laughs> lamb chops for the wolves. They would have eaten it. They would have fallen off the precipice, been all over curtains. I mean, that thing was just about on the way out, taggered, uh, uh, you know, and worn and no energy. And that sheep had to be carried by the shepherd. And there's the burden there. That's the burden that the shepherd carries of the sheep. And he carries us. Uh, he carries us. He carries us. And Jesus is that good shepherd. Keep your finger in Luke. I just got to take you to the center of your Bible. Look at Isaiah 53. Would you look at that? This is, some call this the very heart of the Bible. You know it so well, so many of you. But I just, 
want to remind you of this wonderful prophetic utterance of the Lord Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years made by Isaiah before Jesus was even born and uh, it, it is speaking of his coming and of his ministry his suffering, his death as the Lamb of God and as he bore and carried our burden as the chief shepherd the good shepherd in Isaiah 53 pick up verse 4 again it's referring to Jesus Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs. He carried it. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. And here's the heart of the Bible. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You should be very familiar with that passage. As he bears our burden and carried our sin. He carried the sheep all the way home. And the text says, back in Luke that he was rejoicing. So here's the shepherd, according to the Lord's story, carrying the sheep, and he's rejoicing. Now how do you rejoice? He's singing. He's singing. Isn't singing, isn't music a great thing? Can you imagine what the music's going to be like in heaven? It is going to be in octaves and ways that you can't imagine. I mean, I remember when stereo came out. My father got this hi-fi stereophonic. That's what he used to call it. <laughs> He played John Philip Sousa marching band, and he's a military school guy, so he'd march around the house on those silly times that we love so much. You know, like most of the time we'd be serious on that, but it's when dads and moms are silly and have fun with the kid. They're the things that stick in their minds, right? I can still see them marching around the house with that on the stereo. Oh, it sounded so good. We got three speakers. Can't wait to hear the music of heaven. Music is a great gift. And it's, a, it's one of the fruit of, of uh, being filled with the Spirit. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Look, when we're in sin and we're far away, we're, we do not sing to the Lord. Have you ever noticed how that works? Try it. It's agony. You can't do it. <laughs> hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. You know, until we get done to deal with Lord, forgive me, wash away all my sin. Jesus is the friend of sin, and he gives a song. It's a, it's a song. Some of you, your singing's going to get a lot better in heaven. It is. Eric has such a beautiful, I don't know if yours going to get much better. That's such a beautiful voice. Wow. Anyway, he's singing and rejoicing. And then three, when the shepherd gets home, he calls his friends and neighbors to, to join him in his joy. Did you ever know that, that uh, joy has to be shared to, and when it is, it's increased. That's one of the reasons for the church gathering once a week. We sing and we worship and we share. We're forgiven. The Lord, we belong to Him. We're encouraged. We're picked up. We're refocused. And, and so and it's sheer joy. We could stay home, but it's not the same when we sing and make melody and encourage. It's joy. And it's the same thing in sports. Have you ever noticed that? Like, just pretend Buffalo Bills won the Super Bowl last year. Can you pretend, can you, can in your sanctified mind, can you pick that up, right? 
and, and they're doing so great. And uh, you know, in the 90s, they were in the Super Bowl four, four times, but they never. <laughs> oh man, that's a dream. That's the midsummer I dream. Anyway, uh, but when, so I'm watching the set, and there goes another touchdown. So I jump up and I go, yay! But imagine if there are like 500 of us. There are at least 500 fans for the Bills in the world. And they are all together, and they do something great. And then you're like, you're jumping up, and we're snoring, and you're doing that, and, and everything that feels so great. I mean, it's 100% better, like, when face up there making biscotti in the kitchen, and I'm watching the game, and they do something, and I may yell, hey, look around, there's nobody to share it with. There's no high five. I'm not a Steeler fan, sorry, Mark, but I mean, there's a lot of you out there that you, then you've had your share. Come on, <laughs> but a joy share accelerates it. That's why we have birthday parties and celebration. Invite your friends, and lights multiply. And that's what that's what happens with, with the shepherd. He wants to. Hey, I found my sheep. Now the Lord is going to make the whole point of this. This is what's going on right now in heaven. When a man or woman, boy or girl, comes to the end of themselves, and they repent, they turn and repentantly change your mind about your sin. Instead of running towards it, God, uh, we we believe the gospel. God opens our heart, faith, and we turn from sin. Lord, help me in this. And God's, and Jesus tells us He's the only one that could. Guess what's going on in heaven? The angels are rejoicing. God is celebrating. He's done it all anyway, but they're having a party in heaven. At least this much you got to say. Something's getting through. You know, people often ask, do they know what's going on here? My father's in heaven. Does he know what they did? No, he probably doesn't know. <laughs> but we do know some things are getting through. I remember reading Fran, Francis Schaeffer, whom I love. I read all of his works, and, and a great teacher uh, I was with him a couple of times. And God wonderfully used him before he took him to heaven. Labrie, some of the, that'll mean something to you, the shelter there in Europe, in Switzerland. And uh, at Labrie, they opened up the uh, chalet for anyone who was really struggling with, uh, with the gospel and with Christianity. They, they tend to draw a lot of uh, university students and beyond. And uh, they would come and stay. They'd come and stay at Labrie. And uh, their practice was for a long time. When somebody's there, and they might have 50 at one time, they'd run afternoon sessions, teaching, and this and that. If someone came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would ring the bell. And all of a sudden, the bells would be ringing in the chalet in celebration that someone came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was the text, that there was celebration in heaven, and so... They wanted to, in a small way, enter into that there at Labrie. And they came to a point where they stopped. You know how we are? We get so routine, and after a while, you know, it's part of our sinful bent, I think. I don't know what it is. They just felt like it was not becoming old hat, but... And then he said, we just felt like we had to stop and maybe do another form of celebration. But that's what they did. They would celebrate that. Jesus saying there's great joy occurring in heaven when there's repentance of one sinner. Wouldn't it be great if someone here today has not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the quietness of this hour? Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and God. I turn from my wicked ways, Lord. Help thou my unbelief. I believe you and receive you. 
thank you for dying for to know that the cord to heaven would go and there's be rejoicing like high-fiving in heaven among the angels down in mechanic because of something down here in your heart that's what the Lord is saying exactly wouldn't that be great he tells us there's more joy when something is found than when there's no change in status and that's true when I found that contact I was so excited on the one that was lost and I didn't have a party for the one that I never lost <laughs> oh that one's still there no we're glad for that of course the rescue has removed the danger the sheep would have died of course and Jesus tells us the way to God is through repentance his arms are open to the person who will seek him on his terms his arms close around the child ready to run to him and receive what he has to offer Jesus is the friend of sinners isn't that amazing come to him oh he welcomes you wow the parable of the lost sheep. But he doesn't stop. He gives a second parable, and we won't make very many comments on it because it overlaps, making the same point that God is searching and God rejoices when a man or woman, boy or girl, comes to Christ. One of the differences here is that whereas the shepherd was a man, a young man probably, the lost coin is going to involve a woman. And in that day, that was very unusual. But uh, men and women equally are made in the image of God. And uh, maleness in itself does not entirely show uh, the nature of God. It, it, it is needed male and femaleness. I mean, even in Isaiah, in the latter chapters, God calls himself, God the Father, ascribes to himself uh, characteristics of, uh, of a mother. That God is designed. I mean, that's of God's design. It's showing some of the tender nature and caringness that God has in Isaiah 64 and otherwise. And here, Jesus in this crowd is going to focus on a woman. He could have said a man, but the parable, number two, the lost coin parallels the first, except a woman is involved. And it teaches us in this parable that God, that until God finds us, we are helplessly lost. We're not partially lost. We're we're not just a little bit. We are helplessly lost. Jesus tells the parable of the woman who, having lost one of her ten silver coins, who searches for it until she finds it. In verse 8, earthen stony floors covered with straw with, 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 with little light making their way into the small homes made it very difficult to find anything. They weren't like the big houses that we think of. They were small, often one room, maybe two. Maybe one window, that's it. They were dark. A lot of the homes in Palestine there, uh, many homes in that they had earthen floors. Think of uh, some of the west and the settler days here. But there they had rock everywhere, so they would put stone flooring. They would hew it and lay it down, not like our beautiful marble floors or granite floors, or anything, but it would be put down and they, they would work it so it would be, uh, it, would, uh, it would join up, but not perfectly. They wouldn't grout it. There would be cracks. And then sometimes to soften it, if you ever walk on hard force a lot, it gets very hard on your legs after a while. Uh, our kids place uh, 
when they were overseas, the place that, that was uh, rented for them had uh, uh, granite or, or no marble floors everywhere, and they looked great. But well, you live on it for a while. It hurts. It actually hurts your leg walking on a surface, standing on the surface. All the time, it has no give. You know, today, hardwood floors are pretty much, there's give in a hardwood floor. You know, you don't say, well, it seems pretty. No, there's give to it. Or wall-to-wall carpet, nice and soft, and that, it helps the joints on that. Uh, but uh, so to soften it, what they do, not put down uh, uh, carpeting, but they would put down grass or straw. They put a little straw down. So you got that situation. So you got 10 coins. Maybe it's her bridal thing. They had, often in that day, they would have 10 coins that she worked and would keep around a strand. And one fell off and she lost it. And it's in the crack in there. It's dark. She can't find it. Uh, that's a, that, and she's probably not wealthy. She's probably quite poor. And uh, that coin might have been used if it was not for the bridal necklace. Maybe it would have the coin that she needed to buy groceries. She'd go hungry without it. And what have you. One man writes, Dr. Phillips, like a coin that is lost. Sinners lie unused and unseen, no longer contributing the value for which they were fashioned. While God's image, the coins had typically the image of Caesar on, while God's image with which they were stamped is increasingly tarnished, silver tarnishes, you know, covered with the dust of sinful living. Well, when the coin is found, see the overlap here? The coin is found, she calls her friends, rejoice, rejoice, in verse 9, and the joy is shared. The joy shared is multiplied by her friends and neighbors who rejoice with her. Again, Jesus applies in verse 10 the parable by telling us that there is so much joy in heaven when one single repentant sinner comes to faith and repents. And the word that Jesus uses is not just future. We go like, oh yes, we know heaven is going to be great. We want to be great when we're there and all that. But it's present tense. It's a present reality. Right now, right this second, at the moment of this point in time, there's joy and celebration in heaven. It's glorious. The courts of heaven are full of celebration at the coming of one sinner to God. Well, what can we say about this here in D? And finally, though God's desire is pictured here, and it certainly is, the parable is also about those of us who follow Jesus, who have been found. That we should identify with the efforts of the shepherd and the woman. That we should always seek the lost. God pursues sinners, and so should we. God celebrates when they're found, and so should we have a party and really celebrate. We are not to withdraw into a cocoon, inoculated from from people of the world. We are not to do that. But part of the mission is to love people and to bring them to Jesus. Jesus is the friend of sinners. All right, let, uh, let's look at lessons for our life and we'll be done. Number one, if, and I have it on your sheets. Oh, yes, there it is. If, if you're here today and you have never repented of your sin, you've never said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, I am lost. You've never come to him to receive him. Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. I confess you as, as Savior and Lord. 
Please know that God is seeking. God is the seeker. Uh, that he, he, he could not love you any more than He loves you. Demonstrated in Romans 5, 8 in the sending of His own Son. He who gave us His Son, shall He not give us all things? Paul asks in Romans 8. And know that He is not lost. Some people act like God is lost. He is not lost. You are lost. And He comes seeking, wooing, calling, waiting. He invites you to come. He invites you to come and bend the knee today and receive Him with great joy. Number two, the second thing we can say about this passage, be clear in your thinking. Again, man has never sought God, but God is the seeker and finder of men and women. We see that in, a, in just a picture in Genesis 3. Adam sinned, Eve sins, they run and hide. That's the story of humanity from that day since. And we hide in all sorts of places. We hide in degrees or advanced degrees. I'm educated. One man, the lyric of a song, I can't be convicted. I, I'm beyond conviction. I know better. I'm educated. Or in wealth, or in abilities, or pleasure, or family, or whatever. We run, we hide, and God is a seeker. Adam, Adam, where art thou? If God's not seeking information, He's seeking this man to bring him face to face with his sin so he could deal with it and redeem him. Be clear in your thinking. Man has never sought God, and we use the word, well, he's seeking, and we know that when that truly happens, God has been seeking him and is turning the screws of his heart, and he's turning and he's considering it's all of grace, that irresistible call of God, and it's God at work. And that's what we need to do to our loved ones and friends and people that we know. Pray that that, uh, they would hear God calling them and come, be drawn to Him. And God will draw them in answer to the prayer that He's put on your heart. Drawing them to the Savior to save them. Number three, it's wonderful to consider Jesus' words about joy in heaven over the repentance of just one sinner. It tells us that in part that the drama of earth is revealed in heaven. Something is getting through. That if there's joy and the word reaches the celestial city, another has come to repentance, rejoice. The beauty of all that would be involved in that. I'm sure I can't even begin to picture it. But uh, the thought, I can, and I love it. I want to be a part of ringing that bell of celebration in heaven by seeing folks come to Christ. Number four, come to think rightly about the nature and way of our God. See it in the life of Jesus as he moved among sinners and drew them to himself as friend. As friend. It ought to change the way we think about God, the way we communicate to those that know not Christ, know not the Bible. What is God like? What is his nature? Let me tell you about Jesus. He is the expressed image of Him. The firstborn. The glory of God. Look at Him. Sinners were not repelled, but they were drawn to Him. Come. It's a beautiful story. It's beautiful. So different than all the false religions that that operate on fear and and, and distance and all of that. Uh, The story of the gospel is a story of God invading our planet. 
the purpose of redeeming a people. And number five and last, as a believer, let me encourage you to make part of your life the seeking and the saving of lost men and women for Jesus. We are His. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men to change the metaphor. He wants to do that through us. That's the only reason I can figure for His glory that we continue to live after He saves us. The only reason Grace Church exists is to reach those outside in our community and beyond that don't know Jesus. I can't figure another reason. And draw them to Christ and then disciple them and that they would become reproducers. That's the only reason. It's not a party club. It's not a society. It's not like the uh, Kiwanis or any, any of those. That's the mission. He wants to use you. Will you let him use you? Well, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Draw near to him. Love him. Celebrate. Enjoy. Wow. I could be a help or a blessing to any one of you. If you're not sure you're saved, I'll pray with you. I will. Promise. I don't know if you're this big or this big. Come to know Jesus. Receive him as your Savior if you're not. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's everything. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for this wonderful text. Thank you for finding so many of us that were born lost, and blind, dead, in our trespasses and sin, and, and you move towards us. You're the great initiator. Oh, the great shepherd. The men and women that you are sweeping into heaven. A people named after your own name. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fill our hearts with joy and rejoicing. Put that song in our heart, Lord. And for those here that have never trusted Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you, that, that friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and they would come to know the love of God and be saved. We ask, Lord, that you dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for the food that you provided. We bless you for that and our fellowship and those hands that have prepared it.